And now to give the authority of God's word over us a symbol, would you please stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. This is God's word. You may be seated. My name is Craig Cody. I am a missionary here in Champaign-Urbana to international students on the campus of the University of Illinois. And uh, as always, it's a real privilege to bring the Word of God, to study the Word of God with you um, on a Sunday morning like this. Uh, one of the things that I, that I love about this church is that um, there's a commitment to preaching the whole Word of God. We don't just pick and choose what passages we want to talk about. We start at the beginning of 1 Timothy, and we're going to walk all the way through the end of it. And that means that we're going to encounter some, some more difficult passages, some more confusing passages, and some passages that maybe if you were sitting in my spot, you might want to just, you know, let's just skip over that and move to the next one. It'll be a little easier that way. This passage this morning certainly raised those feelings in my heart. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about slavery today. Uh, it's the context that the passage sits in, though it's not the main point of the passage. The context is Paul is talking to a slave. This slavery, one of the most horrendous sins that man has ever devised. Slavery, uh, forcing a man or a woman or a child, a human being made in the image of their creator, God, a being of inestimable value and worth and dignity and purpose, taking a person and making them an object, a tool to be used to, what, to serve whatever end the master chooses, treating them as less than human. I mean, I even just say that word, and I know that it's conjuring all kinds of images in your head. It was incredibly prevalent in Paul's time, of course, and before Paul ever set foot on the earth, uh, it was obviously a very common thing, too, and then, of course, after. It's still common today. Excuse me, today. We run the Aruna Run in the fall to support the Aruna Project, and the Aruna Project is an, an effort to help women in Asia escape from slavery. We know it's, we know it's going on in the tens of millions all over the world right now. But here's my point, and this is why I'm introducing our, our little time today together in this short passage. Um, Paul is not addressing men, women, and children who are slaves in Asia right now, who are trapped in, the, in, slex, in sex slavery. He is also not addressing those who were involved in the African slave trade in the United States in the 17th and 19th centuries. 
it's important not to just gloss over that fact when we come to a text like this. It's important that when we come to the Bible, um, we have a right understanding of the context of what's going on in the situation that it's being, that the letter of 1 Timothy is being written. So, that's the introduction. Here's what we're going to do today. First, we're going to take a look, just real briefly, at, sla- at slavery and history, just to get our context. Then, we're going to look at slavery in the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about slavery? And then finally, we're going to drill down on our text, the key point of that text being honor author- honoring authority honors God. Okay, that's where we're going today. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we are so needy every day, and we need your word, our true food to us right now. I pray that your spirit would be at work in me and in this room right now. Thank you that you are here with us. Speak, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first, slavery and history. I think we're going to put a slide up on the screen here. Um, In every commentary that I read and in every resource that I consulted, everyone always started with a a throwback to uh, the historical context of slavery. So the one that was particularly helpful to me was a sermon series that David Platt has done. You might have even heard me mention that before on 1 Timothy. And he talks about four different types of slavery that happened in in history. We're not going to go through all four types now, but I think they'll, they'll come up here on the screen. They are Hebrew servanthood, that is uh, a type of uh, slave, uh, type of servanthood or slavery that existed within the nation of Israel. You can look at Leviticus 25 if you want more context on that. We don't have time to go into that today, unfortunately. The second was Greco-Roman slavery, which is the context that we'll be in today. The third was colonial indentured servanthood, and the fourth was the African slave trade. So for our time today, we're just going to talk about Greco-Roman slavery and the African slave trade, American slavery here in the United States that happened in the southern United States. So first, let's talk about Greco-Roman slavery. Again, we're just trying to get get our mind wrapped around the context. This is the context in which Paul was writing the letter. It was very prevalent at the time. Over a third of the population of Rome of the empire of Rome were slaves at that time. But in the first century, sweeping changes started to come in around the time that Paul is writing this letter. They were meant to promote the dignity of slaves, to elevate their position in society. The slaves actually included people who were highly educated, people who were uh, craftsmen or artists. They were teachers. They were even government officials. People who became slaves at that time became slaves primarily through two ways. One was through war, prisoners of war, and the other was for economic reasons. People would actually sell themselves into slavery for economic stability. Freeing slaves at that time was very common. In fact, most slaves by the age of 30 were freed, um, almost without exception. They could own property. They could invest. These are the slaves that could do this. And it was in some times, it was a pathway for them to become a Roman citizen. If they came under, under a master who they worked for for a while, then as they got their freedom around the age of 30, they could become a Roman citizen. It was rarely based on race. But nevertheless, slavery under any circumstances is sinful and wrong, never desirable. They were viewed as property. 
They were marginalized at times, especially prior to the first century AD. They were subjected to hard labor. There was probably physical and sexual abuse. And it is, it is, however, a very different situation than the African slave trade that happened here in the United States during the 17th, the 16th, the 17th and the 19th century. That's the one that we're probably more familiar with here. And one that if we're thinking about historical slavery, probably what our mind jumps to first. You know about this. Millions of Africans transported to the States kidnapped from their homes in Africa. They were transported in cruel conditions. Many of them died on the way to the United States in boats. They were sold without regard to their family, to their life, for anything. They were treated like animals. They were subjected to extreme working conditions and often faced horrific physical and sexual abuse. If you've ever watched those movies like 12 Years a Slave or Amistad, it's, it's painful to watch that. It, it's like driving something into my heart when I see the way that people are treated like that. Here's one account from a woman named Mary Prince about the day that she was sold. The black morning came at length. It came too soon for my poor mother and for us. While she was putting us she was putting on us the new work clothes in which we were to be sold. She said in a sorrowful voice, and I shall never forget it, See, I am shrouding my poor children. What a task for a mother. The other slaves could say nothing to comfort us. They could only weep and lament with us. When I left my dear little brothers and the house in which I had been brought up, I thought my heart would burst. Cruel, evil. I'm at a loss for words, to be honest. Why, do, why is this kind of perspective, this kind of historical perspective important for us? Because as we walk through this passage together, especially people in this country, we have to keep in mind that the slavery that Paul addresses is just not the same slavery that happened here. The slavery of the Greco-Roman Empire, especially at the time that Paul was writing this letter, is not the same. It's an important distinction for us to make. So let's, let's move on to the second part. What does the Bible have to say about slavery? Just want to say, spoiler alert, right off the bat, the Bible does not endorse slavery. The God hates slavery. It is a sin. I do not have enough time to lay out an comprehensive case for why slavery is evil, but let me just say this. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet is an image bearer of the creator God. You are an image bearer of God. You are intended as his image bearer to reflect his glory. That means every person here has worth, value, dignity, purpose that comes from the most glorious being in existence. He created you that way. Now, sin, enter the world. We know that. And everything broke. So much suffering and sadness and pain because of that. And slavery, 
This particular sin, this particular type of brokenness robs the very part of man that makes us man, that makes us human. And it turns us into an object, a tool. That is not how God intended it to be. That is a sin. And just for argument's sake, just as one quick example, if you flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and you look at verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. We've already actually talked about the issue of slavery in this book. It, it went by fast, but I want you to notice it. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, Verse 10, I'm at verse 10 right now. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and then the next word, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So this word, enslavers, means literally, if you translate it, man-stealer. And this, the idea of stealing or enslaving others, is contrary to to sound doctrine. It is described here as lawlessness. The Bible is very clear. Slavery is wrong. And yet, if we face the facts of history, people in this country use passages just like the one that we are studying today to justify slavery. To say that it was okay. Hey, he, he gives directions to slaves, right? Therefore, slavery must be okay. Is that, is that true? No, it is not true. That is not a valid argument. Simply submitting to an authority or an authoritarian structure doesn't mean that that structure is morally approved. Merely submitting to the structure does not mean that's morally approved. Let me give you some examples of what I mean by that. I've lived in a country for a number of years where the government of that country completely opposes the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in many ways oppresses huge numbers of their own people. And while I was living there, I met Christians who work for that same government. They're involved in various aspects of the government and executing their designs and their plans. So when I met people from that government, did I say, get behind me, Satan? Evil, you're evil. Did I say, you got to quit your job right now? Did I say, you need to revolt, rise up, take it down? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. We prayed, and we sought the Lord, and we asked him to lead them in the midst of a work environment contrary to God and his ways, that he or she might honor his name while he's there. Let me give you another example. Let me give you another example. This, these come from the Bible. What about the regulations the Bible gives on divorce? What about the regulations the Bible gives on polygamy? That is having more than one wife. This is ultimately against the will of God. And yet God speaks to people in the midst of a sinful world. And that is what Paul is doing in 1 Timothy. He is addressing people 
who actually, if you look at historical data, slaves made up a huge portion of the church. Up to 50% of the early church were slaves. Paul is addressing people in societal situations in which they find themselves. And so just as a little aside, I think that the reason, I was trying to think about the reason why Paul um, addresses the hearts of slaves rather than the issue of slavery head on here in this context, I, I thought of two reasons. One, the gospel is most important. It's more important than anything else. Jesus is most important. And two, Paul wanted, to, wanted slaves to pursue freedom. He actually explicitly told them to do that in 1 Corinthians 7. But I also think that he knew that if you want to change society, it starts, it starts right here. It starts in the heart. And the way that your heart is truly changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God changes hearts. He changes whole societies one heart at a time. So... Don't be confused. As we're coming to this passage, the Bible is crystal clear. It condemns slavery. God condemns slavery. Yet he speaks to those people then and us now in the midst of sinful situations like slavery. And now we're at our passage. 1 Timothy 6. If you don't have your Bible open already, please do. I want you to be able to lay eyes on it as we're walking through it. I'm not going to read it again for you. But here's the key idea I want you to take away. Honoring authority honors God. Honoring authority honors God. Slavery, again, is the context. It's not the main thrust of the passage. That's what we're trying to drill down to right now. Just a little context to this passage in the book of 1 Timothy. We've kind of, through 1 Timothy 5, it's a lot about honoring other people. Showing honor to one another in the church. Honor to people of different age groups. Honor to widows. Honor to elders. And now, how slaves can show honor to their masters. If you look at verse 1, that's what it says. It says, Let all who are under yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. I think it's important to note, when they're showing honor to their master, at least this point in the text, it has nothing to do with their behavior, the behavior of the master, the kindness or the, the cruel heartedness of the master, nor does it have to do with their spiritual status. Even if you think back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul has already exhorted us to pray for the king, for the people who are, in, who are in governance over us. And the king at that time was evil. He killed Christians. He, he exhorted us, Paul, through the spirit, exhorts us to pray for him, to show honor to the king. Not because the king is an honorable man, but because God is the ultimate authority. You know, as I thought about parallels that we make from that context to this context, I always found that it's going to be a little bit inadequate and reductionistic. Um, but I do think that what we see in this passage is a picture of people who are under authority. People under authority. And so in our society, we have a number of situations like that, right? Where we're under authority. We have it in our home. Whether my kids realize it or not, they're under authority, right? That's, that's my job to make sure that they know who's boss, even though they think they're boss sometimes. At work, you have an employer. You're under authority. Or in school, you have a teacher or a professor. You're under that teacher or professor's em employee. And I'm sure as I, I, I'm under, you're under that teacher's authority. 
Uh, and I'm sure as, you, as I bring up these ideas of a, of a teacher or a professor or an employer, you're getting images in your head of people that you liked and maybe people you didn't like. I was actually talking with a good friend, Troy Rendleman. You guys, a lot of you guys know him. We were talking about uh, studying Chinese in China. And I told him this week, I actually had a class where the teacher, our clear authority in that classroom, went to the chalkboard and drew a graph on the board. And she said, she was talking right to me. And she said, Craig, everyone else in this class, this is their Chinese level. It's going up. You, boom, down. <laughs> True story. Now, I had a choice in that moment. It had a lot to do with authority and honoring authority. I felt like a, I felt pretty low in that, at that moment. It was actually her effort to try to really spark a fire under me. Um, it was pretty depressing at the time. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, even in that moment, though I didn't want to show her honor, I am commanded by God to show her honor. The honor that we bestow on others isn't based on their behavior towards us. And so the call for the slave under authority is to show honor. The, the call for the student or the employee or the child is to show honor. But why? Why do this? And the answer is right there in the text. For two reasons. Uh, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Uh, to honor God's name and to spread the gospel. If you just pause for a second, you think about it, that is an incredible charge to live that out. Think about this. God's purpose and his design is to manifest his glory to all the world and to do it by sending myriads and myriads of angels to just proclaim his glory and sing praises and shoot fire across the sky so everybody knows the gospel, right? That's how he chose to do it, right? With the angels in the sky all the time? No. No, that's not what he did. God's design to manifest his glory to the world is to work through me and through you. Right here, right in this place, right in the midst of these earthy, normal relationships, honoring one another, loving one another. That's how his name is glorified. That is how his name is proclaimed in the earth. There is such weight to this to the way that we love and interact with one another, there is such weight to the way that you treat one another in this place, to the ways that you treat one another outside of this place. It is a privilege to be involved in such weighty things. It is a privilege to be involved in the most important things. The next verse says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. So the first command to honor all masters is more general, applying to believing slaves with all types of masters. Now this is addressing a particular situation where slaves have believing masters. And essentially the exhortation is don't take advantage of the relationship. And the new relationship that they're taking advantage of is being born again, being brothers in Christ. Now, if you or I, if we put ourselves in that situation, if we were a slave and then we were in church and we look to our right or to our left and, hey, look, 
There's, there's my boss. There's my master sitting right there in the pew. We'd, be, we'd certainly be happy that they were worshiping the one true God. And we also might be inclined to ask for a raise or ask for some time off or maybe even ask for our freedom or maybe not ask for any of that, but instead deep in our heart decide, you know what? Maybe I don't have to work quite as hard as I used to. Maybe I don't need to do quite as much. Or imagine this scenario. You're in leadership at the church and you're a slave. And then your master joins the church. The whole authority structure has flipped. What then? Well, in this context, the slaves were taking advantage of that situation. Jesus had bought their salvation, had brought them into the family of God. And now they were using that new identity to disrespect their masters by slacking off of their work. But that is not what advances the gospel. Doing bad work makes the watching world take notice for all the wrong reasons. And the exhortation here is to do the best work you can so that the world notices for all the right reasons. That's verse 2. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So the relationship has certainly changed, but the slave still has to remember that this master is a brother, one who's loved by God. So, again, here we are. The way we interact matters. The way we treat one another matters in displaying the glory of God, in displaying the, the gospel. So, just in closing, let me bring this back to you. As people who are under various types of authority at work or at home or at school or in society, let me ask you, do you honor the authority God has placed over you? Do you take advantage of that authority somehow? Ultimately, are you adorning the gospel of Christ with the way that you live under that authority? Let me just make three observations as we close. One. Remember the dignity of your work. If you look at verse 2, chapter 6 and verse 2, one more time, you're going to see a little phrase. It's the phrase, good service. It says, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Good service. You can translate that phrase as acts of kindness or good deeds done. That's saying, this is really significant. I don't want you to miss this. This is saying that the work rendered by a slave to a master isn't compulsory. It's a gift. It's an act of kindness. So let me ask you this. Do you think of your work that way? As a gift for the people to whom you render it? For the slave under the control and authority of a master, it completely revolutionizes the impetus for the work. It is not given under threat of punishment. Work is given to the master no matter how cruel they are as a gift. How is that even possible? How can you give gifts to people who are your master and you're the slave? Who might even be cruel to you? How can you, as an employee, to an employer that is mean to you or unjust to you, how can you give these good gifts to them? Well, there's a lot we can say about that, but first you recognize that you've been given much 
much more by your heavenly father. He's given you his son. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he's given us the son, he has given it all to you. He's going to give it all to you. So think of the dignity it gave the slaves then. And think of the dignity it brings to your work now. Whether it is at school with your homework or whether it is at home taking care of kids. I'm talking to you moms and dads at home with the kids changing the diapers. Whether it's at work, whether you're planting a field or whether you're driving a truck. Or whether you wire a house or you adjudicate a case or you take care of a sick person or you're changing that diaper, or you're writing that paper, or you study for an exam, your work is a gift. It's a gift to the world. It's an act of kindness meant to bless. Your work matters. All of it matters. It matters what you do. And two, remember the purpose for your work. It's to bring glory to the name of God and to the gospel. In the purposes of God, he has designed that the way you work either detract from or bring glory to the gospel. The way you work either points people to Jesus or not. The way you spend your days either says Jesus is great or not. And it's not just the really important jobs or the ministry jobs that do that. It's all work, whether you change oil or you change diapers. And I know some of you might be thinking, but I'm, I'm tucked away in some insignificant part of my, my, my job or I'm, I'm at home all day and no one ever sees me and I feel really lonely. In God's economy, he has declared that your work done to his glory brings honor to him, period. That is a profound purpose. That is profoundly powerful. And three, Remember, remember the one who became a slave so that we are set free. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That word servant is the same word we're using in our text here, slave. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We were all slaves, all slaves to sin, whether you know it or not. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for us. He took up the towel and he washed our feet. He has stooped to serve you. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you don't know the freedom from sin that I'm talking about, trust in Jesus today. Freedom comes in his name. And consider this, if you have trusted him, Christian, he is here to serve you. He, he has freed you. And he's here to nourish you and to give you what you need and to help you 
and a thousand thousand other things from now on to into eternity. So let's follow him. This great hymn in closing. Long my, in spirit, my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Lord, we worship you, that you came and became a slave for us so that we are free. Thank you, Lord. Help us to honor those that you've placed in authority over us. In Jesus' name, amen.